Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we have the third weekend of Advent service. Today's message is entitled Living into the New Day. We're going to be looking at a question posed by John the Baptist's disciples Are you the one, or should we expect another? A question that illuminates a lot of doubts and struggles that John the Baptist is having in prison and also much of what we can feel at different points in our Christian walk as well. So let's go ahead and head to the talk, North Shore Vineyard Church in downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. On the lower portion of the front of your bulletin is the passage we're going to be looking at for today. Matthew 11, verses 2 through 10. Meanwhile, John, who was in prison, heard about these messianic goings-on. This is the ministry of Jesus, in other words. And he sent word through his own followers. Are you the one who is coming, he asked, or should we be looking for someone else? Go and tell John, replied Jesus, what you have seen and heard. Blind people are seeing, lame people are walking, lepers are being cleansed, deaf people can hear again, the dead are being raised to life, and the poor are hearing the good news. And God bless you if you're not upset by what I'm doing. As the messengers were going away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What were you expecting to see, he asked, when you went into the desert? A reed wobbling in the wind? No. Well then, what were you expecting to see? Someone dressed in silks and satins? If you want to see people like that, you'd have to go to somebody's royal palace. All right, so what were you expecting to see? A prophet? Ah, now we're getting there. Yes, indeed, and much more than a prophet. This is one who the Bible was talking about when it says, See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he'll clear a path before you. I'm telling you the truth. John the Baptist is the greatest mother's son there ever was. But even the least significant person in heaven's kingdom is greater than he. I want you to imagine for a moment that you are living back in the late 1800s, the early 1900s, and you work in the family business. And the family business is horse-drawn carriages. And you're, you're, you're really successful at it. Y'all have... have have made improvements to the horse-drawn carriage. You, you craft it expertly. If anybody wants a horse-drawn carriage, they want yours. You're the leader of the horse-drawn carriage industry. And then one day, you, you hear of this new technology. It sounds curious. And in fact, you get to witness this, and, and it blows you away. It's a carriage that doesn't need a horse. It moves by itself. And you think, well, that's a novel idea. Who would ever buy one of those except for super wealthy people to impress their friends? 
kind of what they used to say about who would ever want to have a laptop computer. And now we got <laughs> computers in our pockets. Little do you know that, that even though you have never thought to question whether horse-drawn carriages would continue to exist. I mean, that's just not a question that's ever popped into your head. I mean, because for centuries, as far back as anybody can remember, the mode of transportation, if you wanted to get from here to there, especially with a couple of friends, was a horse-drawn carriage. It's never occurred to you that a day would come where horse-drawn carriages wouldn't be necessary. And yet, within just a couple of decades of the introduction of the motor car, horse-drawn carriages are completely obsolete. There's probably a handful of people like Amish that are <laughs> still producing them to this day. But they've become obsolete. The day of the automobile has arrived and the day of the, uh, the horse-drawn carriage is now in the past. It's a new day, a new era. When we look at this passage today, John the Baptist, it starts out with a little bit of information. John the Baptist is in prison. And he's in prison because, precisely because he has been filling, fulfilling his prophetic ministry. You know, good prophets always end up in trouble. <laughs> because they're always challenging the powers that be. And so here John is, and he's in prison. And I think by the question, he, he sends to a couple of his disciples to, to ask Jesus, are you the one or should we expect a number, another? And I think that this very question gives us some insight into the, to the emotional state of John the Baptist. Because for, for a long time, he's had a successful ministry outside of town, out in the wilderness, down by the Jordan River, where people would come from all over Jerusalem and Judea. They would come to get baptized and John had this ministry where he was saying, get ready. The kingdom of God is coming. The Messiah is about to be here. Prepare the way. And people would flock from all over the area to come and be baptized, to prepare their hearts for this coming king. And yet, after all that, after all the, the many people that came out there, John finds himself in prison. And now he's struggling with doubts. You ever get there in life? I think, I think sometimes there's just this natural thing that we humans kind of assume when things go bad, right? God's mad at me, right? I mean, that, that's like the most natural thought that we can have. You know, everything's going along fine. The car breaks. You bounce a check. <laughs> you get sick. I remember when I was in high school, for some reason, I, well, for some reason, it was, I was a teenage boy. That's the reason. A teenage boy with a driver's license, hanging out with other teenage boys with driver's license. But I remember there was this point where over the period of like two weeks, me and my friends were in a couple of wrecks. And the same officer <laughs> showed up at, at several of the wrecks. He goes, man, y'all got some voodoo on you or something? Did y'all do something wrong? And I can imagine John the Baptist, after all the success in ministry, after just knowing without a doubt that he was living out God's call on his life to be sitting in a prison cell, felt like, man, did I miss it? 
I thought I had the right one. I could have sworn. I saw the Spirit of God come on this guy and, 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 and the Lord say, this is the one. This is the Messiah. If you go back and I, I think it's John chapter 2, you see this instance where John, is, uh, John the Baptist is baptizing people down by the Jordan. And Jesus walks up and John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John even goes so far to say, I'm just, I'm just preparing the way for this guy. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal strap. I baptize you with water. This, one's, this guy's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The, he, he proclaimed publicly that Jesus is the one, the Messiah, the one they're waiting for. But here he is now on death row, locked up in prison, cut off from his friends and family, cut off from his other disciples, and he's beginning to wrestle with doubt. Did I hear you, God? Did I live out your calling? Are you mad at me? And Jesus answers the question of John's disciples by saying this. Go tell John this. Go tell John what you've seen and heard. Blind people are seeing. Lame people are walking. Lepers are being cleansed. Deaf people can hear again. The dead are being raised to life. And the poor are hearing the good news. This kind of reminds me of uh, really Jesus' first uh, public message. After Jesus uh, was baptized, he went into the wilderness for 40 days and nights of fasting and being tempted by the devil. And the first thing he does after that time, he comes back to Nazareth where he was born. And I put this in your uh, outline under uh, point three. This passage from Luke 4, 16 through 21. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. See, I think this scripture from Isaiah is really Jesus' mission statement. That's why he came. Open blind eyes. Not just physically blind. He did a lot of that, but to, to, to bring spiritual sight, to heal the lame. To proclaim freedom to the captives. Not just people who were locked up in jail, but people who were locked up on the inside. And when Jesus is asked by John's disciple, are you the one or should we expect somebody else? Jesus says, go tell them this. Blind people are seeing, lame people are walking, dead people are coming to life. And the poor have the good news preached to them. Jesus is saying, look at the fruit. There's a word back in that, that, that passage that Jesus quoted from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. 
know what that word anoint means? In the Old Testament, if there was going to be a new king, the prophet, like Prophet Samuel, he, he would come and he would pour oil on David and he would anoint him. It was a way of symbolically setting this person apart for, for authority and rule and reign. This language from Isaiah, it's speaking of the Messiah. You know that word uh, Messiah, which is translated Christ in Greek, which is Christ is not Jesus' last name, by the way. Um, and H isn't his middle initial. <laughs> Christ means anointed one. This passage that Jesus is quoting, it's a, it's a passage that speaks about the Messiah, the coming Messiah. And so Jesus, rather than just give a straightforward answer to John's disciples, I'm the Messiah, he says, look at the fruit. I'm doing the Messiah kind of things. I'm anointed to do this. I was set apart to do this. The scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing. Now, why didn't Jesus just say, I'm the dude? Well, because I, I think it's probably because John the Baptist was locked up in prison and about to be beheaded. And Jesus, his time hadn't come yet. And if he, he, if he just said, I'm the king, immediately you get on the radar of Herod and Rome and all that. And there could be a quick end to it. So he says, go tell John this. But then he closes with this last line. He says, and blessed are you if you're not upset by what I'm doing. Some Bible translations will be, put it like this. Blessed are you if you're not offended because of me. You know, back in the early parts of John's ministry, John the Baptist, somebody came to him and says, look, all your followers are leaving to go follow this Messiah guy, Jesus. And John says, it sounds so humble at the time. He says, I must decrease so that he can increase. That's a lot easier to say when you're not locked up in prison. <laughs> Now we find John, much later, he's locked up in prison. He's not saying, I must decrease. He must sing. He, he's, this is not what I was expecting, God. <laughs> Can you imagine? I, I, I think one of the hard things for us, just naturally, when, when people come up in our ministry or... or, or you know, we can go from, from being friends with somebody and then they start stepping into their own giftings or their own. I experienced this as a young man in ministry when I farted. What did I just? I don't know how that just happened. Okay, there's just no way to spin that one. I remember when I was a young man in ministry and I started coming into who God made me to be. I was, I was actually starting to step into that thing. Uh, I remember being around some insecure leaders who they just felt absolutely threatened by that. They couldn't bless it, you know. That's why it was such a, such a joy for me when I came to the, to the vineyard in Kenner because I, I experienced something very different with, with Pastor Phil down there because 
he didn't see what I was trying to do as a threat. He blessed it as a father. Like, you want to go plant a church? Great. I want to bless that. Wasn't trying to con- compete. And if I was, I wasn't going to do very <laughs> I'm not a threat. <laughs> um, but I think that's a difficult thing many times that, that, that when you pour your life into somebody and then they start actually coming into their own and moving in their own gifting, sometimes we, our own insecurity can see that as a threat or we, we can't rejoice in that. And John, here he is in prison. He looks out at, out at Jesus and Jesus' ministry is growing like crazy. Jesus seems to be doing all kinds of amazing things. People are talking about Jesus all the time. And, and even though John had said, you know, he must increase, I must decrease, that's a lot harder when the rubber actually hits the road. But Jesus says, blessed are you if you don't get offended because of what I'm doing. Rejoice in it. See, so let's go back to the analogy at the beginning about the horse-drawn carriages. See, John the Baptist was kind of like the best horse-drawn carriage builder that there's ever been. Without horse-drawn carriages, there would have never been motorized cars, right? They, pr- they paved the way for that to happen. The in- infrastructure of highways and roads, all that stuff was in place because of horse-drawn carriages. And I love what Jesus says about John the Baptist. He says, of those born from women, I don't know what other kind there are, he said this guy is the greatest he's the greatest there's never been anybody like John the Baptist greatest carriage maker you've ever seen so the only problem is carriage making is becoming obsolete now see John's whole ministry was preparing the way for the arrival of the Messiah and Jesus has arrived now and Jesus says the least in my kingdom are greater than the greatest person that has ever lived up to this point wow what does that mean well just look around at Jesus's ministry because Jesus took a lot of the the least of society fishermen tax collectors prostitutes lepers, people who didn't get to vote on anything, didn't have a say in the world. They weren't the movers and shakers. They were the least of society. Uh, and, and, And Jesus says, the least in my kingdom are greater than John. Why is that? Because they have stepped into the new reality. See, basically... John the Baptist was continuing the ministry, the prophetic ministry of the Old Testament. The Old Testament was foreshadowing the arrival of the Messiah. And John was the best at doing that Old Testament ministry. But now the reality had arrived. Now it wasn't time to prepare the way. Now it was time to embrace the new reality. A new day has dawned. Our God is coming, as we sang here. Our God is here. We talked about this before a while back. Uh, you know, the Apostle John, I mean, Apostle Paul in Galatians, he talks about the law was a tutor to lead me to Christ. 
But going back and embracing all these little things of the law, when the reality, the law was actually moving somewhere. It had a point, and the point was Jesus. And now, by embracing Jesus, being filled with his spirit, we have the law in our hearts. We're, we're no longer trying to live by these external things. In fact, John would, I mean, the Apostle Paul would actually say that, that trying to go back to, to circumcision and dietary laws and all that stuff, observances of special days, all of that, that, that's actually like going backwards. Now we have to embrace the reality of Jesus Christ as King and Lord and order our lives around Him. It's not an external thing anymore. It's internal. It's by the Spirit of God. We love God. We love people. We embrace God and His ways. So the reflections for today, I just want us to consider for a moment. I put these little questions there for you. Where do I find myself with God today? Am I wrestling with doubts about whether I miss God? Do I think God is angry with me? Am I struggling with resentments that others may seem to be having a better life than I am, even though I've tried to live faithful to God? Can I identify with John the Baptist? And then the final question is, what would it look like for me to live into the reality of Jesus' kingdom today? What would it look like to live into the reality of Jesus' kingdom today. And we're in the Advent season, the, the, the third, third weekend of Advent. And, you know, I remember last year in the lectionary where we were in a passage around this time about John the Baptist too. And it was about preparing the way. And I do think that it is, it is great every time we, we come to this time of the year to, to prepare our hearts afresh to, to receive God. But, but ultimately, I think what this passage is getting at today is don't just prepare your heart and wait around. This is a new day. This is the, the day of God's kingdom. You don't have to prepare for it. Enter into it. Restructure your life. Re, the, word, the word repent means to change your mind. Change your mind and live in the reality of Jesus and his ways and his teachings. By the Spirit of God. Why don't you stand? Lord, we just welcome your spirit into our hearts today. And God, I pray that, that where are the, there are those places in our hearts where we can really identify with John the Baptist, where maybe we are struggling with disappointments in other people or disappointments in the way life may be going for us. Maybe we're tempted to even think that you're angry with us or don't want to have anything to do with us. God, I pray That we could live into the truth that you do love us, that you do care for us. 
and that we're not off your radar screen. But Lord, even when it seems dark, even when we can't make sense, Lord, you are there with us in the darkness, Lord. Lord God, we ask for your grace to order our lives around you, King Jesus. Lord, that we could not be the best at the old way, but we could be the least in the new way at least, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, be the king of our lives, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if anybody would like some prayer up here, we'll have our prayer team up here. We'd be glad to pray with you. Uh, why don't you all join us for singing at Pontchartrain Nursing Home this afternoon. We'll be there about 1.15 to get assembled. And you don't have to sing good. You can just mouth the words if you're not a singer. You can make a joyful noise. We'll see you later. <laughs>